You're listening to the New Century Multiverse, Stone Spring Maidens. Chapter 2 Helping Hands Gabriella, Day 27 of Inanna, Late Summer Fall, 1883. In a world named Autumn, the morning sun was glimmering through a haze of peach clouds that hung above the city its warm, golden light illuminating the pale, upturned face of crystal physicist Penthesily Renwick as she cycled to work. The cardamanth-scented breeze was in her hair, which blew in streams out behind a tortle-shell-shaped cycling helmet. Keen eyes drew in peripheral details as she focused on the softly curving slope before her. It was tiled with larkish, a rough, earthy, durable substance which gripped her three tires, giving her excellent steering control as she pedalled. A fine invention that had made the paving of roads exponentially safer since its inception. The crystalline lamps she was drawing close to had phased from blue to violet, signalling for her to slow down. The red light beneath that was enclosed in an inverted triangle for the colourblind, its shape indicating the tapering of speed. Penny always appreciated elegance of communication. The buildings around her had been created one at a time, rather than thrown up in batches. Each new structure was erected by architects who had one eye across the street. Small details could be noted, like the convex jutting of a row of window ledges, complementing the concave array over the road, where one was tiled with bold, sharpened terracotta scales, like an empress fish, its neighbour would be smooth, serpentine, and winding, with externalised staircases, imitating the exoskeleton of a thunder eel. Each one possessed a reflection of the soul of the designer, but also an acknowledgement of those who had come before. The offices, apartment blocks, and shops were not competing to see who could be the biggest or the most impressive. They were engaged in a slow, inexorable dance with one another. Beside the road, a canal ran, and finely painted longboats from the north sluiced through the dappled honeysuckle waters, bringing fabrics and materials, new stones and metals, gizmos and toys, and the kind of delicately flavoured foodstuffs that would arrest the complex palates of the inhabitants of Gabriella. Over the canal hung arched footbridges, grown from dueling peddler trees, which had been carefully, lovingly guided up and over the banks for Decker sons. They met at the apex and intertwined their boughs, to then be carved into pleasing, useful shapes which would allow you to walk through the living wood to the other side and continue your journey, having breathed in the aroma of old life. Beautiful, finite, gently dying together. The leaves slowly and gracefully parting themselves from branches and gliding on the wind down to the currents below. In the far-off skyline, Penny could make out two enormous zeppelinths, a design some forty suns old. Outmoded, noisy, heavy, inefficient. They carried some low means who could not afford to live near tramlines on shuttle runs to their occupations. And across the sky, the replacements of these antiques sailed. The galleas. Beautifully elaborate, ship-like gondolas hanging under manta-ray balloon sails, spider-webbed with rigging, 
vast propellers turning as they made their way to the local military aerodrome. Crystal-powered, agile, focused, effective. This was what caught her off guard, the new tech and its promises. Penny was lost in thought for a fraction of a second. She was considering the weight those craft could transport, the speeds they could reach, the distances they could travel, and what that might entail for the war effort. A carriage mobile had pulled out in front of her, and Penny, who was already slowing, now jammed her brakes on with a screech, prompting the mounted pilot to yank back on the reins of the zebra lobes pulling it along. They reared up, screaming, and Penny felt a lurch and a jolt as the sound cut through her like a cleaver, and she vividly pictured tumbling to the ground. An internal play manifested itself in her brain as she shattered the bones in her armor-padded, long-gloved hand in an attempt to break her fall. Her wrist was gone, her fingers ruined. Stupid. Inefficient. Oh, goodness gracious, such filth! A lady was glaring out of the broad display window of the carriage mobile. She was clad in bone-white silks, and her face was immaculate, alarming dark eyeshadow drawing to mind a paper butterfly. Look where you're damn well going! Her wife sat opposite, and in the flash of taking all this in, Penny found the two very difficult to tell apart. Between them sat a poised, muscular man, adorned in black. He had dark hair that hung in flowing spikes, a lantern jaw, and, Penny fancied she could make out, his abdominal muscles through his leather cuirass. Not that she was remotely interested in them, but it was remarkable all the same. The first woman shrieked once more, narrowing her orange eyes. Get your head out of the clouds, girl! Stop eye-frocking our stallion! Illogical. The light was red. Penny had already been slowing. She surmised in a trice that the woman had instructed her driver to push through anyway, as though it had been blue. This made no sense. It was dangerous. Also, Penny resented the second accusation. The windows on the carriage mobile and the passenger's mode of dress were set up precisely to invite said eye-frocking. Penny cast the previous thoughts of injury from her mind, straightened up and railed on the posh but dazzling hag. I'm so terribly sorry. She gushed with contrition. Entirely my fault. Penny smiled sweetly and earnestly, knitting her wrists together, making herself a child. The lady tutted at her and jabbed an elbow at the young man in black, who obligingly turned his head away in disgust, indicating he did not find Penny admirable nor desirable in the slightest. The cyclist accordingly hung her helmeted head in shame, acknowledging her public error. This was not my mistake. The road safety rules are there for everybody's well-being. You three are not special. She shouted back from within the confines of her head. Her lips, however, did not make a peep. Get away! We're away with you! And the carriage mobile pulled away down the avenue as Penny leaned forward and tapped her forehead repeatedly against her handlebars until a peevish, dringing sound alerted her to the amassing traffic behind. The light had been blue for a while now, so she slid back into gear and carried on towards her appointment. She would not let that nonsensical sourpuss ruin her day. But she shook herself into focus once more, in order that she would not ruin anybody else's, especially not by clogging their axles with her tangled body. She reached the Community Research Centre on Mallow Street, parked and locked her tricycle, then retrieved her precious cargo from the double-buckled leather saddlebag. 
It was a little boy's hand. In the lobby of the Community Research Centre on Mallow Street, Penthesily spotted a tall fellow who had placed himself in plain sight, leaning against the snack machine. He had dreadlocked hair with streaks of cyan blue running through it, dipping to navy at the tips. Around his left ear he wore an elegant pale blue half-tiara. There were bold flashes of blue in the detailing of his dark linen clothing, and an intermittent stripe down the right leg of his jeans. He was currently crunching through a bag of fried miku beans. The fingers of his right hand wrapped lightly around the bag were skeletal and milled from a copperish metal with textured golden pads at the fingertips. His mouth entirely full, Ganymede straightened up and waved, scattering beans as he went. Penny beamed, giving him a quick and efficient passing hug before continuing on her way down the corridor as he hurried to easily keep up with her. You're late. I'm precisely on time. Which is late for you. We'll still be early. I don't know. The boy's really excited about this one. Still nervous, too. Thank you for being here with me for this. Happy to help the little chap. You have me for one hour. More than enough time. Let me buy you a keffin afterwards. Is Calendula gonna be there? She might be. She'll do the thing again. She won't do the thing. They hurried up a set of stairs with a double safety rail, pushed through the doors, and waved at the receptionist. He smiled warmly when he saw what Penny was holding, and let them know that the room they were heading to was already occupied. Before the pair went in, Penny stopped for breath. We both know she'll do the thing. But the next time it happens, I'm going to have a serious talk with her about how it makes you feel. You think it'll sink in? Penny could not find an answer for this. Are you ready? You got the prosthetic? Yes. Got the story laid out in your head. I could perform a one-man play. Fabo. And with that, they pushed into the room together to see two ladies and a gentleman stood in the middle of the room. All three of them had a hand rested upon the shoulders of a young lad who had the end of his right arm folded up in his jacket, self-consciously. The Piper family. Good morning, Amiel. Tess and Jace said Penny, respectively addressing the dark-haired lady on the right, the red-head in the centre, and the short, slightly greying gentleman on the left. Finally, with added warmth to the lad before them. Corin, it's ready for you if you're ready for it. The boy nodded and unfolded his arm, revealing a smooth, rounded end, where a hand would usually be. Careful with it. Amiel, his dark-haired mother, whispered, and he squeezed her hand with his left and nodded. Penny approached the table in the center of the room, lit from overhead with a soft orange diffusion. She laid upon the top a treasure box she had decorated with little shells and a series of simple copper shapes. Corin's eyes lit up. I'm not going to open it for you, Penny said, prompting the child to reach out. After fiddling at the catch with his usable fingers, as he held the box still with his right limb, he unlatched it and rolled back the lid. Inside was his new hand. It was not dissimilar to Ganny's, though obviously smaller with plated detailing across the fingers, which called armour to mind. And like Ganny's, there were also tiny yellow jewels at the wrist pivot, 
and at knuckle points along each finger. All right. First of all, do you like how it looks? Corin nodded vigorously. Secondly, then, do you want to watch it work? Another big nod. Penny smiled and slid the copper crown on herself. It had to balance tentatively upon her left ear as it was built with Corin's head in mind, but she kept perfectly still and felt the connection vibrate through her right side. Okay, watch carefully. Penny extended her right index finger and the disembodied brown metal spider in the box matched the exact movement, pointing at Corin, who stepped back a little and reached for his red-headed mother's arm. All three adults behind him whispered that he should be brave. Penny had coerced the hand to tip itself onto its back and made the come-hither finger wag. Embracing the creepiness of this process had always made children smile and thankfully worked this time. The boy was nervous. That could make this demonstration difficult or even dangerous. Can I try? Corin asked. Are you calm? Penny queried, aware that the answer was obviously no. The boy breathed and nodded, extending his right arm, both eyes scrunched shut. It's not going to latch on to you. Think of it like you've moved hands. You know how you move house. And you just need to get used to the new one. Be gentle with it. She removed the crown, attached the prosthetic to its adjustable cuff, and strapped that to the boy's trembling arm. The hand was oversized for his frame. It would have to last him a long time. And he would, if fortune smiled, grow into it. The fingers remained still and Corin touched them nervously, with those on his left hand. I have to say, this is really looking quite splendid on you. You bring to mind a small pirate from the far inland seas, and this is a big upgrade from a hook. Could I put the crown on too? Might be an idea to wait a moment, to get used to the wait while I talk you through it. Mistress Renwick, please. I read four books on crystal physics. Corin said, a touch of indignation in his voice. I'm ready, I promise. Penny studied him a while. He already looked older, less afraid, his chin upturned, chestnut hair brushed aside, eyes steady. As you wish. She nodded gravely. You know to clear your mind first. Yes. And be aware you're probably going to get a surge of different emotions. Okay. Whatever happens, let me promise you, this will be all right. Penny slowly lowered the crown to fit over Corin's left ear. He shivered as he felt the connection and held up the new hand, which twitched. Now be ever so gentle at first. Just try waggling the fingers. He nodded, a tear in his eye as he gazed at the new appendage. The waggling began and his parents gushed in approval. <laughs> The boy panted with exertion and happiness, but Penny spotted something else in there, expanding. A confusion over unfamiliarity, and at the same time, the desperate longing of a phantom limb. The fingers spasmed and suddenly turned back on themselves, convulsing as the boy cried out in distress. Penny stepped in and snatched away the headset as he stared at the frozen, askew machinery, no longer resembling a hand. No, 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 no. He began to hyperventilate as his parents closed in. The father knelt and let the boy bury his head into the man's shoulder. 
Penny was lost for words, floundering where she stood. Goran, look at me, Ganymede said, an assertive rumble to his voice which snapped the lad out of his panic. Even the adults stopped in place to study the man as he removed his outer jacket, revealing a black and brass mechanical arm with yellow crystals at the shoulder, elbow, wrist, and in the same knuckles as Corin's hand. I understand what's happening here, and it's going to get so much better. I broke it! Corin cried out, holding the twisted shape up, unable to even look at the thing directly. In, in one minute, I broke it! We, we can't afford another one, ever! It's not broke. Let me take a look at it. Ganny reassured him. Then, with the deftness of many sons' practice, he reset the metal finger bones, clicking every part back into place. The child watched not only his own hand get reshaped into working order, but the learned skill and precision of an older man. Penny glanced at the parents who now had tears of their own streaming down their cheeks. She mouthed at Ganny an emphatic, Thank you. He shrugged and nodded as he worked. Want some meckle beans? Corin shook his head. Your loss. With a flourish of his right hand, he picked out a single bean from the nearly empty packet, flicking it into his own open mouth. It bounced off a tooth and fell on the floor, but his affable grin pulled relieved laughter from the kid. Okay, let's try something here. I'm gonna drive for a moment. Ganny gestured towards Penny, who, with some concern, retrieved and passed across Corin's crown. Ganny placed it over his own left ear, and the boy reacted with a jolt of activity. He glanced down at the new hand, which flexed gently and calmly, fluttering the fingers, and then waved up at him, eliciting another grin. Ganny's hand mirrored the movements of Corin's, as mentally the man performed a complex, plate-spinning act. All right, now hold it up. Corin obliged nervously, and found himself bouncing his new palm against Ganny's. The man stood and took off the headset, giving it back to Penny. As I understand it, you lost your original hand in an accident. Last son, said Corin, as the new one became once again still and inert. Well, I was born without a right hand, said Ganny, pacing backwards and pulling a soft leather ball from his pocket, tossing it into the air and catching it with every statement. In fact, I was born without a whole right arm. And I'll be honest, it was awful. I won't mince words. The ladies did not care for a gentleman who couldn't open jars for them. Except me, blurted Penny. I cared about him a great deal. All right, some people saw the gentleman beyond the disability. And those are the people you keep close. Because they're keepers. But it was tough, not gonna lie. I'm 22 sons old. Only got this arm four sons ago, thanks to the engineer here. But I studied hard on how to wield it. Got very friendly with these crystals. And now... To punctuate his statements, he closed his fist around the ball and performed a series of fast martial arts moves, culminating in a very strong, thrusting right-handed punch. He held it for a moment, then tossed the ball back up in the air. You can seek out physical therapy if you can afford it, but the one you need to get the most help from is you. Independence is a constant daily goal. Do you understand? Corin had been watching Ganny's movements with fascination. He nodded vigorously once more. And you're what, eight? I'm nine and a half. You have eight and a half more sons' time to practice than I did, not to mention three quarters more on. Now, do you want to try this crown again and stop worrying about getting everything right first time? A more tentative nod here. Penny gently reset the crown on the boy's head. The fingers shuddered a little 
but the lad stared at them and they calmed. Ganny held out the leather ball over the small, twitching hand. You can see the mechanical fingers there and how they're jointed together with hinges? That's like your bones and ligaments. The crystals and those little pistons are like the nerves and muscles that were there before. They'll listen to you as well. You didn't have to consciously move your fingers before. It just happened when you needed it to. He's right. At the moment, there's a lag as the crystals try to pick up your thoughts about what you want to do. But as time goes on and you practice more and more, that lag is going to get smaller and smaller. Ganny nodded. Stop overthinking it. Let the movements happen. Take all the time you want. Very slowly, over the course of 30 seconds, the replacement ring finger and thumb closed in a pincer around the ball. Ganny let go of it, and Corin gazed down at his prize in triumph. You have been listening to episode two of Stone Spring Maidens, Helping Hands, written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Penthesily Renwick, performed by Theo Lee. Ganymede Ferron, performed by Felix Quist. Corin, performed by Willow Shaw. Stunning Lady and Amiel, performed by Maya Santandrea. Narrator, performed by Alex Shaw. Dance Macabre, performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Many soundscapes including Mushroom Forest, 60s Computer, and Steampunk Station by Tabletop Audio. Stone Spring Maidens is available in a gorgeous paperback from Amazon.com, along with the previous nine stories from the New Century Multiverse, and the two newest, Panthersoul and Nightfall of the Wendigo. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon, our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolf, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finn Barnicol, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksh, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns.